Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds on KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cacciolillo, and today we have Jason Waltonhausen. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me. So this is a really interesting topic. I mean, I have to say, you know, I read as much as I could in, the, <laughs> in about a half hour, and I tried to understand it. And I think I kind of get the gist of it. I don't know if I get the technical side of it. Um, so would you like to explain to my, uh, my listeners, uh, you know, about your, um, ohm theory? Basically what I've been doing is I've, uh, been applying Ohm's law of resistance to all the different aspects of basically life in general, the whole human experience to try and break it down to a common human experience that everyone, regardless of gender, race, or belief system is having as a as a species so i kind of came across this 20 years ago and have uh, been doing it with a small group of people applying uh first we had to take his formula and expand it into a non-mathematical visual form mm. which is a page that i sent you earlier and right. uh, if you if you can bring it up in front of you it would probably be handy to have during the conversation because I'll be talking your way through it, and I'm sure we can figure out a way to get it to the listeners so that they understand what we're talking about, too. All right. Let me get to that email here. So, yeah, basically, there's a very, very old concept called the causeless cause. And every religion and belief system around the world uh, has some sort of version or variation of it. And it's the general idea that if everything comes from nothing, before the first manifest thing appears, there has to be rules. And these rules are called the causeless cause or the first principle. And they all spent hundreds of years trying to figure out what this first principle is, but they never had an actual formula for it. And then eventually the first principle concept kind of gets pushed into the background and then all of the different mythologies of the gods start appearing. And each of these god mythologies are little analogies trying to explain the observations of this first principle. All right. Yeah, I believe like this first principle is what you wait, well, I guess a lot of people would refer to sort of like the absolute. Absolutely. Absolutely. They call it uh, the absolute often. Uh, the key name it goes by for most Greek type systems is monad. And monad is a symbol with a dark circle in the middle and a big circle out are surrounding it. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's one of the oldest symbols around. And the idea is, is that there's something at the center of all things that is simultaneously limiting all things. So it it forever remains at the center while simultaneously keeping everything contained. And that idea is the first principle. Right. And then like the next one you had in that first principle is also kind of described as resistance. Well, basically what we found is that when you take Ohm's law, which has three components, there's a resistance phase. 
to bring the picture up in front of you? Uh, yeah, I have it here. Okay, perfect. So in the bottom left-hand corner of the picture, you'll see a triangle pointing down. Mm-hmm. And then you'll see a little uh, uh, current sign or an all-seeing eye sign and a triangle pointing up. Yep. Correct? Got it. And then there's two arrows going down mm-hmm. by side each of, beside the eye and the triangle. Correct? Yes. Okay, perfect. So basically, this is the first phase of the first principle. And what it basically all proved is that if resistance is constant and current decreases, potential difference must decrease. So what that means is when you encounter an obstacle, if you do not act, the potential to overcome the obstacle goes down. Seems logical. Perfect. Now, the, the above that, it's the same picture with arrows pointing up. So what Ohm proved is that if resistance is constant and current increases, potential difference must also increase. Mm-hmm. So if you have a problem and you act, you have the potential to overcome the problem. Right. Pretty self-evident. Mm-hmm. Correct? Correct. Yep. Obviously, the, the more effort you put into solving the problem, the more likely the problem is going to be solved. Exactly. As long as you're willing to act, you have the potential to overcome the resistance. Yes. But people right now have stopped acting. They're just waiting for things to happen. There's an entire generation of young people that are literally waiting for things to magically happen. Because they, they, they've never been shown the correlation between action and potential. So you, you have to actually prove to them that this is not uh, guesswork. Like this is an actual system that you can follow. Right. So now the second that you act, you go up to the second wheel, which has the, the current or the eye and mm-hmm. the next set of symbols. Correct? Correct. Okay. So in the current phase, if current is constant or focused energy is constant and on the bottom aspect of it and resistance goes down, potential goes down. Got it. Right? So what that means is that when you're in a state of constant action, the harder, the easier the problem is to solve, the less potential there is within it. Right. So... If you choose to always solve easy problems, you grow less as a result. Make sense? Yes, absolutely. Perfect. And on the upper side of that, the harder the problem is to solve, the more resistance there is, the more you're obligated to grow as a result of constantly focusing your energy on overcoming it. Mm -hmm. Seems pretty basic. Yeah, it's almost like uh, the harder you work out at the gym, the stronger you are. And the stronger you are, the less problem you're going to have. Absolutely. Your show is the perfect example of this. One day you decide to start a podcast. So the first resistance you have to overcome is, what's the technology that I need to, to, to learn to do this? How do I master it? How long is that going to take? You go through this whole process of all the obstacles and resistances that you have to overcome. And on the other side of overcoming it, you have the knowledge of doing it. Right. Right? Yes. So once you're in that upper end of the action phase, as soon as your potential becomes greater than the resistance, you move up to the top of the other wheel again, which is the triangle pointing up Mm -hmm. and the symbols. Correct? Correct. 
on the, if you, you go back to the other side, there's a triangle pointing up and then there's a, an eye and then there's a, a triangle pointing down in it. Correct? Yes. Okay. So the instant that your potential becomes greater than the resistance, you move up to the highest level of the system. And at the highest level of the system, if potential is constant and current increases, resistance goes down, which basically means that as soon as your potential is greater than the problem, the more you focus your energy on the problem, the quicker the problem goes away. Okay, so so we can actually make the problem go away rather than having to keep to keep repeating the process. Exactly. And the way you do that is by, first of all, you have to build up your potential to a point that's greater than the problem, and then you have to continue to focus your energy on keeping the problem at bay. Right. Which is e which gets easier to do once you've learned how to master the problem. Sounds uh again, it sounds really logical. Like just like the harder you work, the better results you're gonna get. Absolutely. Now the trick is on the lower end of that upper picture. On the lower end of the potential phase, if potential is constant and current decreases, resistance increases. So what happens is, is that current, which is also intensity of focused energy, once the intensity of your focused energy goes down, the resistance or problem has a chance to come back. It gets worse. Exactly, because your focus has been split or you've been distracted. If that resistance increases to the point where it is once again greater than your potential, you drop back down to that first phase and the whole process repeats again. Got it. So basically, the whole point of what we're doing here is to apply actual physics to our experience, because once you can actually see it for what it is, most people, they encounter resistance, they get frustrated, they get angry, they maybe punch a hole in a wall, and then they stop. But as soon as you can actually find your place on what we call Ohm's wheels of life, as soon as you can find your place on it and learn to isolate what phase you're in, then you can start to just see it for what it is. This is just, you can take a deep breath. You can go, this is just a resistance. I'm going to learn as a result of this. And on the other side of this, I will grow. I just got to suck it up and get it done. Mm -hmm. And once you actually find that level of oneness with the system, you transcend all of the instinctual and emotional responses that are keeping everybody from achieving things. Right. Now, the two instinctual responses are fight or flight. Mm -hmm. Well, it's flight and then fight. So what happens is, is if you encounter an obstacle, if you go down to the bottom of the picture again, if you encounter resistance and you act, and you immediately go to the lower level of the current phase, you're trying to avoid the problem. The constant action that you take is to get away from the resistance. That's flight. The second that you do that, your potential doesn't increase. You avoid the problem, but you don't grow as a result. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. So if, if, if you enter into the fight stage, you don't go into the action phase at all. You go from the bottom of the, of the first wheel right to the top. And what happens is, is that when you just attack a problem, 
if your potential by, na by natural ability is stronger than the resistance and the current is greater than it, the resistance will still go away, but you don't grow as a result. Okay. So if, what we, happens, can't, so if we can't fight or run from it, then what do we do? You have to form a plan and move up to the upper level of the, re of the action phase. The upper level of the action phase is planned action. The lower level of the action phase is flight. The straight to the top of the potential phase is fight, but it's, it relies solely on your present state of potential. Or you have to go diagonally across up to the current upper level of the current phase, at which point you have to execute a plan, push through the resistance, and you will grow as a result until your actual potential is greater than the problem. Mm -hmm. So so a flight response doesn't necessarily equal um, an increase in energy to uh, focus towards the resistance to overcome it? Well, no, what it does is it, the thing that increases in that is ego because you never leave the first wheel. There's two wheels there. There's the resistance and potential wheel and there's the action wheel. If you never leave that wheel, the only thing that's growing is ego. Because every time you have a problem, you attack it. And if you can bully your, if you can increase your energy enough to suppress the resistance, it will go away, but there's no growth with that. There's no personal growth other than ego. Right. The potential difference phase is the phase of mind and the resistance phase is the phase of body. So you have to expand your, expanding your potential works on many levels. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the line, what you want to do is you want to grow mentally. Because okay. if you've mentally grown, then you see it for what it is. And then the physical growth comes later. So how does, a, don't, how does a person, sorry, how does a person know or tell the difference between uh, their ego and growing mentally? Like how do we differentiate that? So, I, I mean, I've seen, like, even even myself, I've, I've struggled with that. Oh, yeah. And your ego will grow no matter what you do. There are people that will, it's becoming aware of, uh, sorry, I just sent my computer. The, uh, the ego is going to grow regardless, unless you become completely aware of its existence. And that's what the system is kind of designed to help you do too. Once you become aware of the process that you have to go through, you're not as special as a result of doing it. Ego likes special likes to be special. Right. So, the key thing that we want to really try and uh, enforce to people is that there there is a system that you have to follow to grow, and it's very basic. It's actually, it's taken 20 years to get to the point where I can explain it in a way that is completely self-evident. It's pretty obvious that if you encounter a problem and you don't act, you don't, you aren't going to grow as a result. Absolutely. Like that is the most self-evident statement you could ever possibly say. Right. And people, some people go, well, well, that's just ridiculous. Well, I mean, that, that, that makes sense. I, I think the part that well, wouldn't trip me up now but I would say like when I was younger it would, would certainly trip me up is um, how to act you know for sure because when you're young 
everything, every problem you encounter is viewed as an obstacle that as a man specifically, you just want to pound your way through. Exactly. Because that's a hell of a thing to overcome because that's strictly instinctual uh, and impulsive response. And it takes a long time to, to grow beyond that. And usually uh, it's beaten out of it by the whole process of being alive anyway. That, that's what I was going to say. It's almost like the only way to overcome it is to really get beaten down. <laughs> well, and life's going to do that anyway, because life <laughs> is a constant series of resistances that you have to overcome or be suppressed by. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. There, there are resistances that crush you. Not every resistance can be overcome. And that's very difficult to be able to assess because when you're young, you're invincible. You're going to do it all, baby. <laughs> so I thought. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. It's a, uh, it's just, a, it's a new way of looking at what we call the common human experience. Because the big problem I think that we have right now and on a generational level is there's a whole bunch of people that are literally doing nothing because they just think everything's too hard. Well, they're just starting. They're starting too high up the mountain. You got to start with little things and build up to it. You, that's, that's what the, the little book I sent you is called All Growth is a Feedback Loop. Yes. So if you look at the current phase, let's say, if intensity of focused action is constant and resistance increase, potential increases. So what happens is, is that that potential increase has to happen through incremental increases of resistance. You don't just go into the gym and lift all the weights on the first day. You have to add weight as your potential increases to be able to continue the growth. But people immediately go to the gym and then blow it a hernia on the first day and go, well, I'm never doing that again. This sucks. But they're doing that on every aspect of their life. There are people that think that I graduated from law school and I know someone that this happened to. I have a friend who's a lawyer. His nephew became a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And then he was like, well, he graduated law school and he's waiting for a better position. And my friend's saying, well, you have to like take, take a position because now you have to actually learn the trade. It's like laying block or anything else. Like just because you pass the bar doesn't mean that you're immediately going to be made legal counsel for a major corporation. Right. And then he literally went and kind of floundered and he was already a lawyer. There's a generational gap here where everyone just immediately wants to start at the top and that's just not reality. Right. I, I made a mistake similar to that myself. I had uh went to school for computer network engineering and I remember like my first job. I thought I was going to jump in and know everything and be able to do everything. Man, was I wrong? I, I did the exact same thing. I became a gas technician for furnaces and air conditioning. And what no one tells you about when you, when you take that trade is that people died working with that stuff. And there's a whole bunch of people that really have a psychological response of like for the first like six months, you wake up almost every day having nightmares about gassing people in their houses. There's a huge psychological component to the responsibility that goes with the achievement of getting that piece of paper. And the truth is, once you have that piece of paper, the real world resistances are what Mm you experience are what teach you the actual job. Right. Because every house is different. 
And every job works that way. They can only teach you the basics through school because the real world is too diverse. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like what got me was when I went into that field was um, I, I was able to handle the technology part of it, but I didn't know how to handle the customer service and working in the corporate hierarchy. Oh, wow. Absolutely. We look at it like this way. Your life is like spinning plates. You know, those pictures of those guys spinning plates on a pole. Yes. So the first time you go through this whole process of establishing your potential and you get all the way from the lower resistance phase through the current phase and you establish the potential phase, you still have to keep that plate spinning. And then you have to do it all again through the next obstacle. So if you don't maintain each of these things, they go away. And the same is true for relationships, for education, for all of it. If you don't maintain your skills, they will go away. They'll come back faster the next time once you've established the potential. But you have to maintain it. This is where people fail. Because the first plate you spun was the educational component and you, you mastered it. You got whatever piece of paper you needed to legally be able to do that job. And then you start with a company and hey, the next plate you got to spin is you got to maintain that education and there's probably upgrading continuously. And now you have to overcome the resistance of learning how to deal with all these other people. Right. That's the next plate you got to spin. And it's the same process. You're going to either attack everybody and probably not have your job very long. You're going to avoid people and be called antisocial, or you're going to have to formulate a plan on how to actually incrementally increase the resistance of interacting with the people until you get comfortable learning how that dynamic works within whatever company you're at. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I kind of just know for me, like that was just, one of the many things I overlooked, <laughs> like like, oh, school, everybody like does. it's kind of funny, like like school, it, it teaches you to trade, but it doesn't teach you a lot of the other things that you need. Yeah, life teaches you the rest, and it is a frozen boot to the face most of the time, <laughs> and no one likes talking about that because everybody has been so indoctrinated or I call it Hollywoodized with the idea that things just magically happen and all issues get resolved at the end of the 30 minute show. This is setting a subconscious tone that everybody is just kind of thinks things just kind of work out. And it's a lot of work. Life is hard for a reason. And the reason is because if you don't overcome the resistance, you don't grow. Mm hmm. It's uh, it's interesting. Yes, it's it an is. interesting new way of looking at it. And, and also, uh, one of the things that you mentioned in there too is the reason for this, or the what you say the original reason is it is because everything is energy, including us. Exactly. So therefore, we have to abide by the same rules uh, that that energy abides by. Exactly. Exactly. Ohm is actually the perfect example because it took him years to mathematically prove his formula. And after he proved it, he got the frozen boot. He was ridiculed. He was called an idiot. 
It took 40 years for other scientists to acknowledge his achievement. And when they finally did, he, he all he wanted in his entire life was to be a university professor. And he finally got his position at 80, and I believe he died at 83. And he was there for three years. He was a gym, he he was a high school teacher. Wow. And he literally was ridiculed into he and he said actually, I call this the most overlooked uh page in the history of physics. He says in his pre preface of his book, The Galvanic Circuit Math Investigated Mathematically is what it's called. In the preface of his book, and I'm going to paraphrase it, he says, uh, my intention, uh, resources permitting, is to use this formula to explain the whole. I, um, The pursuit of this knowledge has, has cost me all uh, interest in any new novelties. And uh, if I, if at all possible, I'm going to apply this to as many fields of study as possible. Um, if I get any recognition for this, the only reason I am applying it to electricity is because it is the field with the least amount of competition for explanations. So he's hinting that this is something that could be applied to everything. That is more, that is more than just... You know, something that we're going to use for making circuits is something that we could use for everything, for, for a format for living. Exactly. But he was so ridiculed by the establishment that he, he didn't do it again. And actually, he did do it again. He did it one other time, and he applied it to acoustics. It's called Ohm's Acoustic Law. And it's basically a variation of his Ohm's Law, which is interesting because acoustics are all about harmony. So the one, the, the second time he attempted to do it, it's interesting that the field he chose was harmony. But he doesn't talk about why, because he was so ridiculed that he said, you know what, I'm just gonna go and live my life and do my thing. And, and he, he kept experimenting and doing his work and he just never shared his findings again because Screw you if you're going to kick me in the face. So, so why do you think he would have chose harmony? Is it because not only is everything energy, but is energy vibrating? Exactly, and frequency. I think he was delving into frequency. And I think that he was looking for a much bigger implication to, to really kind of put it home, but he never really talked about it. It's interesting, though, that of all the things, if he if he's saying up from the onset, I want to use this to explain everything. The one thing he cho chooses is vibrational frequency. That's fascinating to me. That, that is to me, too, especially um, lately, because I've been experimenting with like binaural beats, which, you know, is the frequency and you have like, a differentiation of frequencies going in each ear and then the brain okay. basically harmonizes up the difference and changes your brain wave pattern. Wow. That's interesting. That sounds like a recipe for epilepsy. Uh, actually I have epilepsy. It doesn't affect it. Oh, wow. Not at all. Wow. Because that sounds like that would drive me crazy. I think 
<laughs> no, it, it's pretty neat. It, it, it'll get you into like, it, it helps like different frequencies will put you, give you, will help you create, um, have different brain waves like Delta, Theta, stuff like that. Well, it's actually interesting you mentioned that because the whole re the whole way that I tripped up on this in 2001 is that I basically accidentally triggered my pineal gland through unguided meditation. And I'm sure you've talked to enough people that you know exactly what I mean when I'm saying that. Yes. Um, I accidentally basically entered a state of oneness that I didn't even know existed. I knew nothing about chakras or Indian philosophy. I was just always a, a deep thinker contemplating this idea of energy. And then one day, like the light bulb went off and I went, what the hell was that? And it was such a profoundly moving and terrifying event that it just changed the entire course of my life. So I understand exactly what you're talking about, about the, the different frequencies, because I actually learned all of the stuff about that after I had accidentally done it. <laughs> Did you continue to try to recreate it? Or after that, were you like, I'm not messing with that anymore? No, I, I, I've done it three times now, actually. The first time that I did it, because I'm a writer and I've been a writer my whole life, I actually wrote one page during the first event. And then about two or three years later, there was in a second event where I wrote 11 pages. So basically, to, the, to, to date at this point, I've written 16 books on this. And how I've done it is I get into that high vibrational state. And I basically, for lack of a better word, it's like channeling. Mm -hmm. And I just write everything that comes through this frequency. And I do it through music. I have a very specific one hour piece of music that I listen to. And when I get to the seven minute point, I'm in that zone and then I write and then me and the other people in my group assess what was written in that state. And that's how all of this work got done. It's incredible. Kind of like, um, Edgar Casey, but while you're still awake. That's yeah, that would be a good reference for sure. What's interesting is, is that an academic couldn't do what we've done because an academic is so confined by the rules of academia. No one can write a master's thesis on, oh, well, I was meditating and I reached the state of oneness and this is what came out. They don't want to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> But that's how, I've, that's how I've been doing it. I basically, I, I've written 2,600 pages on this. And I haven't even started, begun to start actually going through. And like, this is literally all stream of consciousness writing. Mm -hmm. That there's grammatical errors, there's punctuation errors, there's just all kinds of crazy in it. And then you got to kind of sift through it and bring it down into a more coherent kind of, and research it. We were so many hours just going online trying to find all of the different aspects of it that just came out through these sessions is and this... i've never talked to anyone about this other than the other people within the group really no one that i know and my family or friends i have never discussed this. Oh, wow. but all of my friends have in the group have told me it's time to actually start talking about this because we're going into a very interesting time sociologically 
And I think people need to get back to the basics. So could you kind of give me maybe a a gist of of what you've channeled through this frequency of oneness? Uh, Through the different writings that we've done, this has been, that I've done, and the group has analyzed, we've done, I would say, at least 40 different fields of study. Om, and Om said in his book, I, enti- I intend to imply this to other fields of study, but I have not had the time to study those fields, liter- the literature related to those fields. That's what he says in his actual preface. So kind of like Darwin's on the origin of species. Mm-hmm. That's just how it started coming out, is it just kind of started applying to all these different things. And I just kind of started categorizing it into different books based on different headings that they were all falling under. Okay. So we've got one on politics, uh, motivation, survival. It's There's a whole, if you go to ohmslaw.ca, We've actually created a nine-volume encyclopedia, and each chapter is a different application to another field of study. Okay, so we can actually go there and, and, and read it. There are there are seven sample chapters. the okay. The one that is there is, which is almost a complete book, is showing how through seven walks through those wheels, a uh, basic society is obligated to form. It's anthropology. Okay. It's showing you literally step by step, if this potential gets established, this is the next logical resistance that will come along. And when that potential gets established, the next logical resistance that needs to be overcome, all of these things are inevitably unfolding because the law is all that physically is and all that can ever be. What would happen if we stopped? Like, uh, like, so we we just gave in to the resistance and just let it overtake us. Would everything just reverse itself? Uh, yeah. Well, life always is pushing towards increased potential. It's either growing or dying. It's either feeding something or growing. There's very little options in nature to not do anything. Humans are speci- are an interesting animal in that regard because of all of the the great false things we've created to create this oasis of perceived stability, like economics. If everyone had to actually follow the law perfectly all of the time, you wouldn't allow be allowed to have unemployment. People would have to have something to do. There would be anarchy because everyone would either be battling all the time or yeah, there'd be a lot of people being eaten civilization doesn't want that and rightfully so i hate the law i'm going to be honest with you what i've come to i've come to appreciate it for what it is but it it, i don't like the fact that you know what i got to do hard things to grow that sucks Mm -hmm. there's very little comfort that has come with knowing it on the level that i know it but i am in awe of the diversity of that formula I am completely in awe. So do you think like uh, the laws that that mankind in society live by are in accordance to Ohm's law? Or is there um, something that's off that's causing a decline? 
I think it started off in relative harmony with it. The Ten Commandments, let's say, and there were many others before that, the law of Habarami. And Habarami, by by, by, you're familiar with the code of Habarami? He's the oh, basically the first written law that was actually posted for the public to see is Code of Habarim, and it's from Mesopotamia, 1750 BC. And Habarami, who wrote it, basically said that Shamish appeared to him. He was the sun god, and he gave him this these rules for the people to live by. Now Shamish, as the sun god, appearing to Habarami is basically he entered cosmic consciousness. What they call enlightenment is also called cosmic consciousness. So when Habarami says Shamash appeared to him and gave him the law, he basically, kind of like myself, was probably deep in thought one day. He had this awakening experience that he contributed to a visit from the sun god, and he transcribed these rules that are called the Code of Habarami. And the Code of Habarami is basically still, parts of it are still the foundation of our whole legal system today. And it's basically a rule of resistances and potentials and current. You can't apply this resistance. If you apply this resistance to someone and you limit this person's potential, the punishment will be this. If you break it down to the three factors of resistance, potential, and current, everything falls into one of those three categories eventually. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you think that it's working, if you think that something is going against it, what we found is that it's your assumption about the relationship of those variables that's wrong, not the law. You think things work differently or you want things to work differently, but the law always brings it back into harmony with how it actually is working. So is that kind of like the equivalent of us always sort of trying to find an easier, softer way to deal with a situation rather than you know, doing it the way what we're supposed to and grow the most from? That's how we're programmed. We are programmed biologically to get the maximum amount of return for the least amount of effort. And that's what fight and flight is all about. You're either avoiding it so you don't get hurt or you're attacking it and willing to take the hits to make it yours. You don't really, most people don't really want to make a plan and actually see it through. We are designed to either be stronger already or get away from it. And the overcoming of that base, I call it the path of least resistance instinct. We are all designed to flow around unless we are strong and then we attack. But we have to break free of those two base instincts and become a conscious planner and executor of that plan. And that's the growth phase that everyone is always trying to avoid for the most part. Hmm. We so, like the easy way. So if, if we're programmed that way, automatically, how do we overcome that programming? I mean, you know, it's got to be, it's got to be difficult to overcome that. It is incredibly difficult. And the only way to do it is to increase awareness of it. You have to basically, when the big snowstorm comes and you sit there screaming about how you got to shovel it all again. I'm in, uh, I'm in Northern Ontario, by the way, <laughs> and the snow's coming. 
Um, you can either be upset about the snow that is inevitably going to come every time this year, or you can look at it as an opportunity to go, it's just a resistance. By the time I overcome it, you know what, maybe I'll be, I will be a little bit stronger and my back's going to feel probably a little bit better, assuming I don't have a massive heart attack in the process. And uh, yeah, once you become aware that it's in, you're obligated to overcome it, then you can at least start trying to not avoid it. And it's not easy. There's nothing easy about any of this. Um, That's why uh, I have an uphill battle. That's my mm -hmm. big resistance right now is educating people on the fact that life is hard. Yeah, I, I, believe, that, I, I, I believe that's one of the, was it the first line of, um, oh, what's that book? I forget the name of the book. Varieties of Spiritual Experience. Okay. I think the first line of it is life is hard. The good news is it's hard for a reason. If you can accept the reason and become in harmony with the law, you can transcend all of the emotional frustration that goes with the task of pushing through the resistance. That's the whole goal. And that's what enlightenment, that's why that's what moving up through the chakras in the Hindu philosophy is all about too. Once you get to the second last chakra, that's the state of OM. OM. We're talking OHM. Right. But the state of OM is the activation of the pineal gland, at which point you transcend the chakras and enter the highest level, which is oneness with all. And the oneness with all that you are trying to attain is oneness with the first principle. That's what they're working towards. And in the Indian system, they call the first principle the causeless cause. They have a mm -hmm. lot of different names for it, but it's called Brahman. And the is Brahman is the causeless cause. And OM, O-M, the vibrational frequency, the chanting, is Brahman, the first principle, in its manifest form of sound. So that's why you chant OM to rise up and achieve a level of oneness with that state that is beyond your body. And the gateway through it is literally the third eye, which is OM, which is fascinating because I didn't know any of that existed. And like I say, I just accidentally did it. So is that how you achieve some of these states during meditation is by focusing on the uh, third eye and OMing? Like they use no, the, I, the OM sound? No, I've been, I, I did it through this piece of music. I found this I piece see. of music that's like a transcendental piece of music. that's mm -hmm. exactly one hour long. And I have listened to it thousands of times. I just have got to the point now where I train myself that I can just kind of slide in and out of that, you know, depending on how chaotic my life is, obviously. Um, I can slide in and out of it quite regularly. Interesting. What piece of music is it? Uh, it's actually uh, Hans Zimmer's score to The Thin Red Line. Well, it's a modified version of it. Uh -huh. uh, but uh, if you've never listened to that piece of music, that is a life-changing piece of music. Wow. Maybe you can send that to me if you can after the show. I'll be Absolutely. I'll send, you the, uh, I'll send you my modified version. Yeah. Yeah, and I can actually, I also have a friend who's sort of like an expert on these type of things. And maybe he can listen to it to identify which frequencies are in it that create that state. Yeah, because I, I would be fascinated to know why it does that to me. 
now there's a lot of training that has gone on with it too but um uh, like when it first when i first discovered that piece of music there was just an instant vibrational frequency that was triggered within me it must i i don't understand it but it works yeah yeah it, 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 there's definitely something to all this i i have you know like i said i have my this friend who who you know works with these binaural beats and the frequencies and isotonic tones and um and i also i mean this i know it's sort of sort of outrageous but i had interviewed somebody who was a participant in project stargate which is the you know uh our government's research into psychic phenomenon and he sent me the tapes that they used and they also used frequencies oh yeah they did all kinds of crazy stuff so for sure yeah it's pretty cool they actually have copies of all the originals wow yeah, all, all, all I know about it is, is that the more focused you become on a single point, and it's not external, it's in yourself, mm-hmm. eventually you will reach a point where the whole world, and I've been doing this, I was doing this for years before I actually broke through, I just didn't know what I was doing. I've been doing this since I was a child, because I grew up in isolation, relative isolation. I grew up in rural Ontario, Canada. Uh, there were no other children around other than my sisters. And other than the times we went to school, all of the time that we were at home, there were no other children around. So we just literally had endless fields and forests that we just kind of wandered and played in. And there were just, a, there was a prolonged period of oneness with the environment that I think set the tone for me to be able to do this. Because I, as soon as I was introduced to the school system, I, I, I went internal mm-hmm. because the resistances of all the other people were too great. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand that at the time, but it was very traumatic. The whole educational process all the way through high school was very traumatic because I literally spent till the age of 12 in pretty much isolation just with my family other than school. So learning how to deal with other kids and teachers and rules and living hell. It was a living hell. Yeah, it sounds pretty Especially brutal. when you can go home and just have endless fields and forests and you just think in and play in and there's a harmony there that you get that kids that grew up in a concrete jungle will never know. Um so when you go into these states of meditation and you sort of channel like do do you remember afterwards and what happens i do um in all honesty i read i'm reading the stuff that was done in this some of these huge power sessions that i did and i am in awe of it i honestly i don't know where it comes from like i'm reading stuff going wow like that's pretty cool like i I, that's amazing. And I just, I go like, like, this is crazy. So going through it all and categorizing it all is a big job. That's why it's taken 20 years. I've been doing this since 2001. I've only come forward in the last two months to start talking about it. Hmm. Excuse me. Got a tickle in my throat. Um, 
Are you familiar with any other channeled works such as like the Book of Zion or the Book of Euranthia? Some of the stuff that Aleister Crowley channeled. I, I've I've heard of them. Um, I haven't delved into too much of that because I'm just so focused on this that I've kind of, other than the research that I have to do based on whatever it is that I've come across, <clears throat> mm-hmm. I'm kind of limiting my exposure to too many outside influences. Right. Because once that focus gets split, like in the potential phase, if your focus goes down, all of the other problems do come creeping back in. It makes sense. Totally makes sense. It's like, uh, like for example, if you're writing, you, sometimes you don't want to read other people's stuff because you don't want to be influenced by it. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, but, the greatest but definitely, influ- I would say, like, like when you're finished with this project, if you ever are, or have somebody outside of you, do some comparisons it would be really interesting yeah that one would. Of, some of the things i've noticed like with reading especially like alistair crowley and uh madame blavatsky um they were basically saying the same thing you know they may have used different words and different terminologies and in some cases they used the same words oh have you there's a book you should read called the theosophical seal Okay. Mm-hmm. It's in the Theosophical Society, which is Bavlovsky, Helen Bavlovsky. They have a seal. And the seal is the secret code of all of the knowledge of, like, she wrote this, like, magnum opus, like, kind of like myself, like thousands of pages. <laughs> yeah, that thing is and it's that an am- <laughs> It's an amazing thing. To, I have it on my shelf, and it's an amazing thing to just leaf through. But the entirety of the knowledge, the secret knowledge, is hidden in the Theosophical Society seal. And there's a book that they wrote explaining what the seal means. And it ends with OM. O-M. The chant. Right. It, it, it can't be coincidence. Oh, God, no. No. What, what happens is, is that people that come across this knowledge and when you enter this state of oneness... You, you're no longer part of mind. Your mind, your ego dissolves. And you literally become one with, it's like a light, let's say. And the closer you get to that frequency, you actually feel like the room is brightening up, but the light is coming from within. And if you push it, and if you keep upping the frequency to the point where you actually break through, the entire room will dissolve and you will be in a state that appears to be pure light mm-hmm. um which is overwhelmingly terrifying by the way but in a good way it's also exhilarating you just go like what is this like this is kind of kind of crazy mm-hmm. but all of these people that have achieved this they are all coming back with their version of the inf- same information because the instant you return from that state your mind starts processing the experience and depending on how complex your mind is, determines the type of information that comes out of you when you start processing it. Right. So it is as simple or as complicated as your mind is the second you return that you've already established. 
That's why, like, uh, what is the A Course in Miracles, mm-hmm. book A Course in Miracles? It's the same thing. There are passages in A Course for, a Course for Miracles that are saying the exact same thing I'm saying, but it's done by an academic who is so academically trained that it is so complicated what the, the 10 pages that come out are basically saying, if you encounter a problem and you don't act, you don't have the potential, you don't increase the potential of growing. But it takes 10 pages of academic hoopla to get it out. <laughs> because that's the kind of mind that encountered the state and now has to process it. Wow. Um, have you, like, um, you know, compared some of this to some of the other more ancient uh, Western type of teachings, like with the occult and magic? Uh, yeah, I, I, I've dabbled a little bit in it. I've dabbled a little bit in it. The, the two best ones that I've found, actually, are Plato and Aristotle. Plato calls this the form of the good. And what Plato basically said was, is that people have to stop studying. And I'm going to way paraphrase this and get crucified. <laughs> we, have, we have to stop looking at all of the differences and everything and find the similarities. Because if we can find the similarities, we will eventually reach an apex similarity that is governing everything that he calls the form of the good and or the idea of the good and the good does not mean good as we know it it means truth the form of the truth is governing everything and that's the first principle he calls it the form of the good that's a complete uh, oversimplification aristotle calls it the prime mover if you go far enough back through all of the cause and effect, there has to be a prime or unmovable mover. And that unmovable mover is the principle itself. The first principle is the thing that is governing all activity, but in itself cannot trigger any activity. Hmm. Which is interesting. It, it is interesting. And... and, and <clears throat> You know, I do think uh, the idea of looking for commonalities would eventually lead everybody to the same type of true conclusion rather than focusing on differences. Uh, That's probably 99% of the whole human dilemma. Absolutely. Because the more differences you start studying, the more your focus is split. Current means, in our case, intensity of focused energy. You need to direct your energy through focusing it on a single point. The more points you focus it on, the less goes to any individual point. So as long as your intensity of focused energy increases, like if resistance is constant and and energy increases, potential difference must increase. That's mm-hmm. what Ohm proved. They are dir- uh, there's a directly proportional relationship there. So, One so cannot is, happen. So this could be worked as a, as collective, not just as individual. Absolutely. Kind of like absolutely. Uh, um, you know, the wiring in our house could be one small piece of it. Like each individual person is like a house, 
But beyond that, there's an entire power plant where it all comes from. Absolutely. But it's all functioning the same way. It's just how we're reacting to it. And you've, you've heard that for years. It's not, it's not uh, the problem. It's how you react to the problem. And most people, we are, we are going into a dangerous time where there is an insanely prolonged delayed adolescence going on amongst the average person, including all the way back to my generation. I was born in 1970. There's a lot of adult children wandering around on this planet right now. And it's kind of becoming a real problem. Right. It's what's kind of holding us back. And the next generation's even worse. Number of people that are floundering because they don't have a guide. Everyone knows that if you don't act, you don't grow, but no one's forcing anyone to do it. You cannot fail in the edu current educational system, regardless of the effort that you put out, they're pushing you through. This is not preparing people for reality. It's very dangerous. So how do we fix that? How, how do we take people? I, I mean, do, do we actually, should we take, you know, children and, and challenge them more? Would that, would that be the way to go about it? I mean, obviously like for, for people like uh, are, are like your age, like I was born in 67. So you and I are pretty close in age. Um, but I mean, I think for people like us and people older, I don't even know if we could change them. I mean, this type, oh, of, yeah. this type of thing really probably going to have to be focused more towards uh, younger generations that are up and coming. Yeah, exactly. Let's go back to the wheels for one second, okay? okay? So if resistance is constant and current increases, potential difference increases, okay? Let's do that in, in reverse. If current is constant and potential difference increases, resist, or, sorry, if resistance is constant and potential difference increases, current must increase. What that means, we've been talking about it the other way this whole time. What that means is, is that potential difference is the mind. It is the motive force. Potential difference means voltage, which is also motive force. It is the mental aspect of the equation. So what you have to do is you have to inspire people. If people become inspired, they are obligated to act. If they face a problem and they come up with a solution on their own, they will be inspired to act. What we've been dealing with, what, how we've been discussing that up until this point is if the problem presents itself and you mm -hmm. act, you can grow. Right. But the reason you're going to act is because it's happening the other way where you go, oh, I got an idea. I'm going to try that. That's what we have to do with young people. We have to give them the formula. And I did this test this weekend, actually, with my friend's son. I gave him the little book that I sent you at her, and I asked her to ask her son to read it. And she goes, oh, he hates reading. He doesn't read anything. <laughs> he, he, read it, he read it twice. Mm -hmm. He read it twice in one afternoon. And he basically, and I asked him, ask him what he, he's learned from it. And he says, he's learned that uh, happiness comes from little achievements. And now he wants to try and do something. 
little achievements are what bring happiness, right. not things. So and there's a, there's a, there's a whole text that she sent me about his response to it. And I'm like, perfect. He's 16 years old. He's doing nothing. He read this book, not <laughs> once he read it twice. And now he actually wants to go try and do something. That's, <laughs> that's, that's the goal. Right. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I think, you know, that is a huge difference. Like, like I, when I was growing up as a kid, if I wanted something, um, my, my parents didn't just give me stuff that I wanted. You know, I mean, from earliest age, I think God, I must have been 10 years old. You know, I wanted maybe like a new bike or something. So my parents made me get a paper out. You know, and I did that and I saved my money and I, and I got my bike or whatever it was. And then I wanted a motorcycle. So I had to go out and get like a, a better job and make more money. And, you know, and then it was a car and, and on and on and on. It's... <clears throat> basically gone my entire life you know when i was old enough to pick up a hammer i had to go with my father on my summers off and nail down floors on houses that he was building <laughs> and it was literally as soon as i was old enough to pick up the hammer because we were we lived in rural ontario and we had very little like mm -hmm. you just you had to contribute there's never nothing to do there's only a, a limited amount of things people are willing to pay to get done and we've so become indoctrinated to the idea of your time equals money that you have overlooked the point that your time invested properly equals growth. Money is always a side effect. You should always be trying to create a circumstance that the increased current or currency is a side effect of. If you're focusing on the money, you'll never be happy. You have right. to create focus on the creation of a circumstance of which the money is a side effect. That's kind of what I'm doing with this podcast. That's exactly it. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> but even if I didn't make money off of it, I would still at least know I put out something good into the world. So, and that's and what I'm doing too. And I don't, I, really, I have, and I don't really care, you know. Like long as long as people listen to it, if it opens up one person's mind, that's good enough for me. Well, and the beauty of what you're doing is you've got such a diverse array of guests and topics that you're going through the process now of building up your potential. You're still in the active phase. Every day, you're doing these things multiple times, and you're building up your potential bank. And eventually, that potential bank will get to a size, and you're going to do it very quickly, where that much content has value. And then eventually, people will be contacting you more than you trying to find people like me. Right. Because you saw a post that I put and you said, Hey, you want to come and talk? And I said, sure, let's do this thing. <laughs> you will get to the point where there's so many people contacting you that you have to turn people away. It will happen. <clears throat> I'll have to hire another me because I'm not going to turn people away. <laughs> well, no, and, and that's the goal, right? The goal is, is that one day the potential is so much more than the resistance that and that upper potential phase when the resistance goes down current increases if potential is constant and resistance decreases current increases so what that means is once you've overcome all the resistances and you've established that your potential is greater than them you have more energy to do all the other things that you want to do mm -hmm. but 
it takes a long time to get to that point where we don't know how many podcasts do you have to do before that switch happens. All we do know is, is that the day it happens, it comes in an instant. You work and you work and you work and you work. And then one day your life changes. Right. You know, one of the other things that I think about when we're talking about this is like, you know, I, I play guitar and, you know, I remember starting out playing guitar as a kid and it was like hell, <laughs> you know, just trying to get my fingers to move. And then it would hurt after practice. It was just a nightmare. And, but, uh, you know, eventually it got easier and easier and easier and easier and easier and shit. Now I'm like, you know, I'm in my fifties and, and I can play Jimi Hendrix stuff. No problem. That's the perfect example. That's the perfect example. I see everybody's doing it, whether they're aware of it or not, because it is all that physically is and all that can ever be. Mm -hmm. Once, once you become aware of it, you, it still sucks. It's still, your fingers aren't going to hurt any less because you know that it, you have to do this or you're never going to grow. Right. But there is some level of comfort that, and mentally that comes with, you're not wasting all of that energy in frustration. You can focus that much more energy and overcome the resistance that much more quickly when you're not whining about it all the time. Mm -hmm. And the way to do it is those, those little steps, you know? That that little bit of sitting down for ten or fifteen minutes and doing and working on the really hard stuff, the harder scales and the harder chords, and then one day it just clicks. That's all you got to do. That's one of the lines in the little book that I sent you, and I hope you can get to the end of it. I know I was late sending it to you. It says the reason most people fail is because they aim high too much higher than their present ability they expect the road to be easy and the path to be easy and short that's why they're failing they aim too high you got to start with a little problem solve the little problems first i got a great idea make your bed in the morning <laughs> <laughs> it's all these things people are so busy trying to solve these big ideas that they're, they're neglecting the little things that you need to do just to have a normal, stable life. Mm -hmm. So with this, like, how much, like, I think to do any of these type of things and to have the type of focus that we're talking about, <clears throat> one of the first things that a person must have to start doing is learning to control their minds. Um, rather than having their mind control them. Absolutely. That's the whole goal. And the easiest way to control your mind is to have a map to follow. And Ohm's wheels of life that we've created are that map. Because whenever you're frustrated with a problem, you can look at yourself on the map and you can see what you have to do to get to where you want to be. It doesn't make the task easier. But it helps your mind assess the light at the end of the tunnel. Does that make any sense at all? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a formula. Exactly. It's a formula. You, you identify the problem, you pick the right formula, and you follow it. And you know through the guide, and it's so simple. 
once you get it. Like I can teach this to someone one-on-one in 20 minutes. No problem. It's applying it. Mm -hmm. But like my friend who's tried this with her son now, it's, it's just the idea of knowing that there is a guide. Everyone's going blindly through life, wondering why things aren't happening the way they think they should. And if you can come in heart, become in harmony with the guide, then it doesn't make the task easier, but at least you know where you are mm-hmm. in the process. Right. But I, I do think um, <clears throat> even for per- a person like there's a lot of people out there, like, like, like you mentioned, like this kid didn't want to read. There's a lot of people out there. You can hand them the book and they're still not going to read it. Oh God, no. You know, just absolutely. like a lot of people will never read the manual to their car. Oh God, absolutely. Absolutely. The beauty of what we're, we're both doing and we're on a very similar path is that you don't need everybody to do it. You just need enough people to do it to keep you busy. Right. Because we're both limited to what we can do with our own two hands, because I am the primary person behind my idea and you're the primary person behind yours. So you don't need a hundred million people to like what you're doing. If, if a million people liked what you were doing, you'd be running around like a crazy person trying to maintain it. Hmm. And I would too. <laughs> I'm not true. worried about I'm not worried about all the people that don't get it. If I can find, in all honesty, a thousand people right. that understand what I'm saying, I will be busier than I will know what to do with. And I have a full-time job that is not related to this at all that I have to also go to just to make sure that I have a, a roof over my head. We're both in the same situation. <laughs> well, it's interesting. Like, 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 say, you know. Even if like like you as one person convince maybe ten people to yeah. change, and let's say me just as one person convince ten people, that's twenty more people, which creates more current to overcome the resistance. Correct. So yeah. it, it can work in an exponential way because then those twenty people. Wait, get 10 more people. Well, and they will. That's the thing is that once you're dealing with anything that actually changes a life, they cannot contain it because they're inspired. The problem gets overcome, but they're inspired and inspired people. The only people that, 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 uh, that tell more people than an inspired person is a miserable person. And as I say to everyone, it doesn't matter how miserable that, that you are about something that you don't like. Everyone you can tell knows you. So they know what you're like. They all, you know, everyone knows the miserable guy can't be taken seriously. You don't need to worry about the miserable people. Just worry about the people that are at that frequency. That's why I've, I, I, I loathed Facebook and I stopped going on it for like two years. And then as it came time to execute this, I re-engaged it. And I love it now because these groups, like there's like these esoteric ancient knowledge groups that have like 200,000 members. Right. I did a post on one of those groups. The first post I ever did as a test, it was, it was the, 
the morning before my 50th birthday. It was October 29th. And I was sitting in my kitchen about to go to work. And I had one of these channeling experiences. And it literally said, and it doesn't talk. It's just a feeling. You're going about this all wrong. Type this one paragraph and post it on this on this site, which I did. I don't even I don't even remember writing. Uh -huh. I came back that day after work, eight hours later, and there were 200 likes and 30 comments. By the next day, there were five or by the end of the next week, there were 500 likes and 200 comments. I got 800 names of people that like what I said. And I can contact each of them individually now and invite them to join my book and to join my group and read my book from one post. <laughs> that's more, that's more than I can handle already. And this thing hasn't even started yet. Right. That's amazing. You know, I, I do the same thing. I, well, every morning when I, after I post an episode, I, I go into groups that are related to whatever topic my podcast is on and I put up all these links and, and I get tons of feedback that way. It's amazing. And, and a lot of times I even get more guests that way. People will see this and see a post or something I put up and they'll contact me. And one thing just leads to another. I know. And that's the beauty of it. Yeah. So I've started a group called the first principle Ohm's law of life, the divine pattern, which you are a member of. And I've put a version of that book there for everyone who joins it to have basically just for joining. And the members of that group with basically almost no effort trying to channel people to it have gone to like 35 people from four people in like two weeks. And that's not with me pushing. Mm -hmm. This is just other people reading the information there and inviting someone else. Which yeah. is amazing. There, there, there's definitely movement. Well, and it's not a lot. And it doesn't need to be. My, my plan is this. My goal is from 50 to 60. And I just turned 50 a couple months ago. From 50 to, I have from 50 to 60 to execute this level of the information. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to take till 60 for me to have enough people understanding the basics of what I'm saying that people will want to know a more advanced version and the advanced version has already been created. It's called eCal. There's a, a whole life manual called energy calibration. that was one of the last things that basically got channeled and I'm still trying to refine it and go through the vast amount of information that came out in this huge session that I was doing over the course of several weeks. Um, but yeah, there, there will be an, the, the book you have is like a basics. Right. There is a completely crazy town advanced version for those who want more information. I can't wait to see and, it. Oh, it's, it's, I am overwhelmed by the information that has been presented in that, in those sessions. It's, it's, it's on the site already. Mm -hmm. Um, but the version of it that's there is literally the completely channeled, unedited, haven't even checked it for grammatical errors, right. crazy town. Um, but it all makes sense. And basically what that's teaching to me 
is that the greatest potential that there is left in the world for anybody is the explanation of potential itself. This is basically what the last sessions taught me. And I haven't been, I've been focusing more on the execution now, so I haven't been writing very much. Mm -hmm. The little book that I sent you got written in a Saturday. All of the information in that book was written in three hours. Wow. So, but one of the, the biggest things that came from the last huge session, and then I kind of realized I have to move into the action phase of execution now uh -huh. because I could spend the next 10 years still writing this stuff, but I'm going to need 10 years to get it out there and then it won't get out there. So now I have to kind of turn my back on that portion of it mm -hmm. and overcome the next resistance, which is the execution of the administering of the information to anybody who's willing to listen to it. Yeah, it's definitely important, you know, to do that. Um, yeah, I would love to read. It. I don't even care if it's edited. Sometimes I, I like reading that kind of stuff. That's not even, it's, it's just left untouched in its rawest form. Um, Filtered. Yeah, because I, I don't know why. Like, I have a friend who's a, a poet, and he would always let me read his uh, his books before he edited them. And I always enjoyed those more than his final product. Well, yeah, there there is something to it that is, I, I can't describe it. Most of the times, the people that I've, I've got a group of, basically there are two, two sounding boards that I've used through this whole process and they've been doing it for the entire, well, one of them for 10 years and the other one for almost the entirety of the 20 years. Mm -hmm. And um, there are parts where they go, this is beautiful. Like this is some beautiful writing, but it's too lyrical. It's too flowery. When, you, when you're in that state, it's amazing how poetic things just kind of come out. Yeah. Because I've never considered myself a poet. Mm -hmm. Sorry, go ahead. No, no. I, I mean, if I, if I was... In that situation, I would probably release an edited version and, and an unedited version. Have both for people to read. That's um, the plan. You know, one of the things that comes up, like I just had this little debate on, on Facebook in the podcast group. Like somebody was asking about editing podcasts. I was like, I don't. You know, I mean, I I adjust the sound levels and stuff like that, but I never edit my content. And the reason that I do that is because. Um, one, I wanted to, I like the original form of it. I don't care if I say an um or an uh or a cough or whatever, you know. And I don't think my listeners really care either. They're listening for the content of my podcast. And if I go in and edit and just say I make a mistake and I cut out one word that's really important, it changes the whole meaning of the whole conversation and how people are going to interpret it. Well, and that's the beauty of this whole digital form that we're in right now is there are no rules that's that's what i love about it because the truth is is that i have a studio that i've set up and i'm going to start filming lectures and i'm not using the latest camera i'm using the cameras that i have mm -hmm. because the truth is if you're not watching this video because of the camera i used you're not ready to hear what it says anyway Right. Like that's the beauty of us as individuals. We don't need everybody to like us. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and it almost like, I, I know for me, 
Um, I, I, I mean, I have gotten no complaints about my podcast in, in the way it sounds or the way it's produced or anything. I've only gotten compliments on it. So obviously I'm doing something right. Well, we'll definitely have to get to figure out a way to link that picture that you had, because I already I, I'm dreading already the first 10 minutes of this conversation, because without that picture, people are just going to go, what the hell are these idiots talking it's, it's about? It's a piece. It's a piece of cake. All you got to do is send me a link to it. And I put it in the notes of the episode and people will click on it and be able to see it. And also what I'll do is I can post a link to the Facebook page and I can post a link to the page where you can re read the uh the raw manuscript that you have out there and uh perfect so when people are yeah. listening they just go into the notes click on the links and check all your stuff out that's cool because i i, I i'm i'm always was nervous at the beginning of it and i uh i feel i you're you're a great person to talk to because you've 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 settled my nerves over the uh it's 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 a hard thing to visualize without that image, mm -hmm. but with the image, it's actually very clear. Right, yeah, and and also, I mean, I don't do much on YouTube, but if you ever wanted to do an actual video where people could see it with me, I'd be more than happy to do it. Okay, yeah, I've uh, I've already got. Uh, uh, I'll give you a link to a video that I created years ago called George Simon Ohm's Hypothesis. Oh, and that's think, a little I, I think I checked that out. It was in there in the little book that you sent me. It had the exactly. two, two um the two uh, YouTube videos. I had checked those out. Okay, cool. So you they're a pretty basic explanation of what that whole train wreck of the first 10 minutes of this conversation would be without visuals. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was a train wreck. That's just gonna suck people right in and figure out what the heck are these guys actually talking about. No, maybe. You know, it's good. I, I, I'm, I'm excited about all of it because I understand completely this concept that the greatest potential left is the explanation of potential itself because no one's done it as basic as it is. Right. I, I'm excited about that. Once I under, once I got to that level of depth, it, there's a piece that does come with everybody on this planet actually needs to know this because they're already doing it. They just need to know that there's a reason they're doing it. Right. Yeah, I, I like the formula. It's, it's really cool. It's, it's definitely a neat map. You can just figure out where you are in those diagrams and, and then follow the right formula to correct it. Exactly. It's really, exactly. really simple. And it, 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 there's no dogma. There's no... Um, there's not even any rules, really. It, it, it's up to the, you just leave it up to the individual. Um, every problem has to go through the same process. And, and it's presented in a way, too, um, where it's egoless. There's, there's no, like you're doing this in a way where your ego is not there and you're not doing it for profit. It's just authentic. Yeah, exactly. You At know, the bottom of that page, it has a bunch of different word combinations. That go with each of the different symbols. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. So, I was checking that out. That that really makes it clear. Exactly. So if you uh, once you understand the pattern, we also call it the divine pattern. Mm -hmm. Once you understand the pattern, things are obligated to unfold through. You can punch those word combinations into the symbols, and it will all work perfectly every time. Yeah, it's amazing. It's a great so, system. 
my my friend um david who is uh one of the key sounding boards on this we literally spent every thursday night for about a year when we were uh living in the same city we were standing at a whiteboard every thursday night for at least three hours in a whiteboard trying to figure out those word combinations hmm. because it just wouldn't work. We knew that the formula was correct and we knew that things weren't working. And then it took, it took literally a year of punching word combinations in to find the ones that work. And what we realized through that process is that we make a lot of assumptions on the relationship between variables. And if the doesn't, the formula doesn't fit your assumption about the relationship of two of three things is wrong. It's the truth. Uh -huh. It's basically a truth detector at that point. You can even make an app with this. You absolutely could. You know, just and I would love to meet somebody that yeah, had that be, ability. That would be so <laughs> cool just to make like a, a phone app <laughs> that, that solves all these problems in such a, a methodical, simple way. Well, and there's there are Ohm's Law apps that already exist, but they, they've never been able to get beyond the implications of electricity. Because basically what happened is, is that once Ohm's formula was accepted, the world became electrified because Ohm's law basically teaches you the thickness of wire you need to use to deliver electricity over mm -hmm. a distance. So the reason that that formula took off was because we were electrifying the planet. The problem is, is that we were so enamored with all the electrical wonders that came once the planet was electrified, that we completely overlooked his whole original statement. Right. We, we, we just focused on the electric and the results of the electric and electricity, and we didn't actually look at the formula and the other applications of it. Yeah. And no one, like literally, I found that, I, I bought a copy of his book and found that preface 11 years into this journey. I didn't start with that hypothesis. I was just doing this on my own based on basically the channeling I was doing and seeing being shown that this is applying to a lot of different things. 11 years into it, I thought I better buy this guy's book. <laughs> and I did, and I opened it up and I read that first page and I almost crapped myself. <laughs> yeah, that must have been mind blowing. I freaked out. But there's a lot of synchronicities. Uh, that's one thing I've learned since I really started since I started doing this podcast. Is, uh, the synchronicities are incredible. Absolutely. If you're open to them, they are. It's like life just wants room to breathe and grow. Mm -hmm. And if you're open to that, if you become like a yes person, within reason, obviously, um, the things that appear once you know where to look are incredible. Right. And also, lately, like you have, like with Ohm's Law, I mean, you know, there's also magnetism, too. Absolutely. You know, you, you just start drawing, you know, that particular energy towards you. Well, and, and, one of and the, repelling other energies away. 
The closest person to actually figuring this out is William Walker Atkinson. Have you ever heard of him? No. Okay. William Walker Atkinson was a guy in 1900. And he was basically, I believe he was a real estate lawyer and he had a mental breakdown. And he decided that he was going to give up his life of doing that. And he basically started ravenously consuming every esoteric philosophy book he could find. And he wrote 140 books between 18, I'm going to say 1880 and like 1925. He basically took every top book that existed about esoteric everything, created his own version of it. He even created like five different names that he wrote under because he started his own publishing company and he needed other authors. So he just created other names <laughs> and he processed all of these, this information. Book you want to read by him. Well, the first one is called the Cabalion. Have you heard of the Cabalion? Yeah. Is that, I thought that was written by like the three initiates. That's right. The three initiates are William Walker. Atkinson. Yeah, I, I just did an episode on that yesterday, actually. That's if there's synchronicity. Yeah. The three initiates are not people. The three initiates are consciousness, motion, and substance. I've been studying this for a while. He wrote another book called The Secret Doctrine of the Rosicrucians under another name. It's the sequel to the Cabalion. Mm -hmm. And it has got horrible reviews online, and they're all false because people don't understand what it's saying. The Secret Doctrine of the Rosicrucians was the book that I found after I had had surgery, I bought this book and put it on my shelf and I hadn't read it. It sat there for a year and I had this surgery and I opened up that book to a random page. And on that page, he explains the exact experience of my enlightenment. That freaked me out. It's incredible that this guy was so in tune with it. The book you want to read, though, is called Thought Vibration. Book Thought Vibration ends with him basically explaining that there is a causeless cause, and if you chase every cause and effect back to the original causeless cause, there is a principle that is governing everything. And he even says, it's, the, it's my desktop on my other computer, if you get into the current with it, you will get the things that you desire and you can create as much friction against it or resistance as you wish. It does not hurt the law. The law, it will be unchanged. The law is the law. That one's called He's even, vibration. he wrote another book. Sorry, go ahead. That one's called Thought Vibration. Thought Vibration. And that, that book ends with a, a single paragraph where he actually is even using the terms resistance, which he calls friction. He calls it the line of least friction instead of the path of least resistance. He uses current. He's even using the variables of Ohm's law. He just, it's 1901 and he doesn't have the formula, but he's using all of the right terms and variables. And that's what the Cabalion is all about too. What I've discovered in what I theorize is that the three initiates are basically hermetic philosophy says the law is above all else, the only absolute. Consciousness, motion, and substance are infinite under the law. 
Well, consciousness is motive force, substance is resistance, mm -hmm. and motion is current. Hmm. Fascinating. That is. That does sort of that fits right into how that book is, too. I love that book. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. But yeah, it was, they've pretty much proven that it was written by William Walker Atkinson, but they've, they've spent mm -hmm. all this time trying to figure out who the other two initiates are, but I don't believe they're people. Right. I think it's the formula. Okay. I, 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 I had heard that, 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 um, one of them was also Paul Foster case, but I don't know. Yeah. I've heard all kinds of theories about that, but when you read more of Atkinson's books, mm -hmm. Um, another one's called The Mastermind, but it's written under Theron Q. Dumont. Hmm. Um, another one's called Mental Magic. He wrote 140 <laughs> books. Well, I just ordered Thought Vibration. So, Oh, it's amazing. I'll, I'll have it's that amazing. one in about a week. And when you get to it, when you get near the end, you're going to see a, path, 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 uh, a paragraph that starts with, uh, the law is there too. And he basically perfectly succinctly states in one paragraph, he is so close to having the formula. He is, if he had Ohm's law, he would have figured it out. In the other book, Mental Magic, it's called, mm -hmm. he actually is talking explicitly in the terms of Ohm's law. He just doesn't have the formula. He's wow. literally saying path of least resistance. <laughs> that's, that's incredible how... This stuff has been around and um, and how you've connected all the dots. I think this is great. Oh, and there's so much more. I've got 2,600 pages on this that I've of research that I've done. The number of, of, of people throughout time that are talking about the first principle, I've, I've written a whole book on that. It's mm -hmm. like 200 pages of references of people wow. that are just, this is, I, and they're not talking about it. They're describing something mm -hmm. that they don't know, have the answer to, but they're all describing the same thing. Incredible. It is. Wow. Well, thanks for taking the time to be on today. Well, thank you for having me. It's a, it's a great first step for me because learning how to do this whole Zoom aspect of it is the new resistance that I'm in the process of overcoming. <laughs> and eventually I will increase my potential enough where I don't have to uh, ask you a million questions about how to do it. That's fine. You did fine today. You did great. And you're welcome back anytime too. Thank you. And I hope you, I, I'm sorry that I didn't get the book to you a little sooner so you had more time to review it, but you're such a busy guy. I don't even know how you're standing. <laughs> it's not that bad. <laughs> I do it somehow. I don't know how, but it happens. I don't even, I just, I take the, uh, I don't know. I just go with the flow. What's the passion? It's the power of having a passion. And I think if we can leave with one final idea and then we'll shut her down is that it is that purpose mm -hmm. that the average person is missing. But it's not like, there's a lot of like the secret, these things like the secret. The secret is 50% true. And basically the secret says, if you can visualize on something, the universe will manifest and conspire for all of it to, to manifest. That's the first set of wheels. What they're leaving out is the second set of Ohm's wheels of life, which is the work. Mm 
Yeah, I agree completely. And when you read thought vibration, thought vibration is the secret. They have completely plagiarized that book and left out the work. Hmm. When you read it, it's going to blow your mind. You can listen to an audio version uh, of it on YouTube. Mm -hmm. I think it's about three hours long to, to listen to it. It will blow your mind. Wow. I'm more of a reader. So. Yeah, no, that's good. That's because you know what? You interact with it better because you're not uh, influenced by the tone of the reader. Yeah. When you listen to audiobooks, you have a more pure processing experience. That's great. Yeah, I can't wait to read the book. And again, thank you for being on. And uh, I'm just going to hang on with me for a couple moments while I. I play the outro. Perfect. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy T-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise. To support the costs of producing this podcast, click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot, you can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you loved what you listened to, don't forget, rate, review and subscribe.